Star Wars, give me those Star Wars, nothing but Star Wars, don't have that land. Star Wars, those dear and Star Wars, talking about Star Wars on the Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Give Me Those Star Wars, the official Star Wars show of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Ryan Daly, and if you're wondering what makes this episode so special, you don't give me enough credit. For the first time on this podcast, I get to give my first reaction to a brand new Star Wars movie. And the movie in question is, of course, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, the brand new film directed by Gareth Edwards, starring Felicity Jones, Diego Luna, Mads Mikkelsen, Donnie Yen, Jeng Wen, Riz Ahmed, Ben Mendelsohn, and Alan Tudyk. Rogue One tells the story of a small band of rebel operatives and their mission to steal the planes for the Galactic Empire superweapon, the Death Star. Their success or failure will determine the fate of the Rebel Alliance and set the stage for the classic Star Wars saga that began in 1977. On this special episode, I am joined by returning guest Nathaniel Wayne from Council of Geeks. Welcome, Nathaniel. Hello there. As well as first-time guest on the show, Elliot Stafford. Welcome, Elliot. Hello. And finally, back by popular demand, former guest Angela Drew. Welcome, Angela. I'm really surprised you let me come back. (laughs) (laughs) People wanted to hear from you. They They love hearing you torture me. We just got out of the theater about 20 minutes ago. We all saw the movie together. We're going to try to give you our first impressions, both positive and negative, and then get into the nitty-gritty as much as we can in a relatively short amount of time. Before going on, though, I do want to warn everybody listening, there will be spoilers aplenty in our discussion. If you don't want to be spoiled, pause this episode, bookmark it to play later after you've seen it, because we'll be getting into a lot of details about the plot and the characters and the cameos that haven't necessarily been made public yet. All right, if you're still here, let's do this. We will start with Nathaniel. What were your overall big picture impressions of the film? Big picture is this is what I wanted this movie to be. Um, Because you and I talked before about this, and what I wanted was something that was steeped in Star Wars in terms of the world, the technology, the conflict, and, you know, characters where they could fit and make sense, but that felt like a different take and did not necessarily feel like a Star Wars movie, but was still looking at it go, yeah, that's, I'm just seeing Star Wars on the screen, but with a different flavor to it, and that's exactly what I got. Elliot, your first impressions? And also, since we haven't talked about this, what were your expectations going into this movie? I really know. Like, I I tried to avoid as many spoilers as possible beforehand. Like, I didn't really read reviews of the thing, but I was kind of expecting a heist slash war movie kind of thing. I wanted to, you know, I knew they basically were trying to get the, the Death Star plans, but I didn't really know much more about it than that. My overall picture of the whole movie was... Uh, we kind of did get like a heist movie. We kind of saw a plan coming together. It wasn't quite the Ocean's Eleven kind of thing that you know would have been entertaining to watch a bunch of different aliens come together to do. But it was, uh, you know, it was it wasn't quite as lighthearted as some of the other Star Wars movies, and that was kind of refreshing. That it was you know a little bit darker, but still a fun movie. Yeah. All right, Angie. What were your overall thoughts of the movie? Oh, I just thought it was perfect. I loved it so much. And I'm not being sarcastic. It was like the right blend of simple, clean plot, but not oversimplified. It had the right amount of action. It had the right amount, like the pacing was perfect. 
I also thought of something really awesome I wanted to say while Nathaniel was talking, and then I got like into listening to him, and I totally forgot what it was. <laughs> so okay, well, I'm hoping that will come back to me. <laughs> on that note, let me jump in here because Angela just said she's not being sarcastic, so I am very confused right now. <laughs> so, Angie, after all of the criticism you lobbied at The Force Awakens, you would say that this movie hit you exactly what, where you wanted. This one was what you wanted from a Star Wars movie. Yes, and it was beautiful. Like, honestly, if you watch this on mute, you're still going to enjoy it just as much. Like, the, the scenes in the marketplace in Jedhar Jedha, were... Yeah, yeah. yeah Jedha. Edit out me mispronouncing it. <laughs> <laughs> it was like... Like you're looking up through these like clotheslines and fluttering fabrics and oh the moment where Jin runs into the guy that also ran into Luke and Maz Eisley, like the the nods to the original trilogy were so subtle and yet so fantastic. Like they, they weren't hit you over the head like, hey, look, we're being clever. They were just like, hey, you're a Star Wars fan. We're a Star Wars fan. Like, hee hee. Like, let's have a moment. Yeah, I was going to come to this point later on, but I, I can't even wait because they did it first more than I expected, but also better than I expected. And this is the cameos of characters that we've already had established. First and foremost, I think what blew me away, and I actually I said the word Jesus out loud as soon as I saw Grand Moff freaking Tarkin. <gasps> oh <Yeah>. my god! <laughs> and I, I was I, stunned how much he was in this. So was yeah, I. he was so, in quite a bit. And I I knew he was going to be in it. I knew they had cast somebody who was going to kind of look like, and I figured that they would do some sort of matte overlay because, I mean, as we've seen in recent Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, the younger Michael Douglas in Ant-Man and the younger Robert Downey Jr. in Captain America Civil War, I mean, they've gotten really good at making these composite versions of of characters that we love these particular times. And what they did with Tarkin, wow, that was impressive. Did anybody have any problem with Tarkin in this movie? Well, I I guess my moment with Tarkin is when they showed him from the back. I was almost certain that they were going to play that game of like, they're just going to show him from the back and then you're just going to hear his voice. And then like, you'll maybe see a shot of his jaw. And then he turns around and like, looks right at you. And I'm pretty sure I watched that entire scene with my mouth wide open. (laughs) It was incredible. It looked so good. I mean, I don't know what award they have for incredibly bringing actors back to life. But, it's it's but, the Necromancy Award. <laughs> yes. New category, and they won it. It just blew me away. Elliot, what did you think of the Princess Leia cameo at the very end of the movie? I was expecting the same exact thing that Ange was looking at for uh, you know, Tarkin. I was expecting to just see her back and maybe hear Carrie Fisher's voice or something. And then seeing her turn around, that was just like same kind of thing. Like, oh, wow, they actually did it. And they did it well. I, I, yeah. I'll tell you something coming out of this movie. It really makes you want to immediately pop in A New Hope, like really badly. <laughs> I mean, that ending scene. I, I'm sorry, Ryan. Am I jumping too fast? No, 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 no. That scene when and like I was actually saying to Ryan on the way back from the theater that there was just the perfect amount of Vader where they're like, okay, we, we've got the suit, we got an actor, 
we're going to show him to you. We're not going to be shy about it. We're not going to overuse him, but like you're going to see him and he's going to have dialogue and he's going to have awesome moments. But that final scene with him. Um, oh my God. Was oh, it was so Vader, Vader cutting loose. And, <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> oh and, and it was like killing me, right? Like they've got the plans in their hand and here he comes and the guy keeps yelling like, help me, help me. And it's like, no, just pass the plans through. And then they start playing <laughs> hot potato with the plans, right? Like pass it to this guy. Oh, he's dead. Pass it to this guy. And when it gets to the ship, I, I just had this moment of like, that looks a lot like Leia's ship in A New Hope. And like, oh, my God, it is. <laughs> so with Vader, it was funny because his his initial scene, which I forget the name of the planet. but They it actually looked, it, we deliberately did not give a name for that planet. Well, it it looked like it looked, the lava planet from episode three. Mustafar, yeah. like Mustafar. Yeah. Except it and looked so, like the tower from Lord of the Rings set in space. <laughs> like that's it, what it, it was. Seer Thungol sitting in space. <laughs> It did look like that. But that was our initial thing on Vader. And I saw that. I'm like, okay, that was kind of okay. Didn't really need to be there. But then what happened at the end? And honestly, as far as plot structure goes, still didn't really need to be there. But suddenly I was like, oh, yes, I need all of this. Because I don't think Vader has ever been more badass than well, no, he was in that because we saw him moving scene. like he was dangerous. He didn't seem like he was a six-foot-tall asthmatic, like, <laughs> stumping his way down the, right. the corridors. Like, he was vital, and he, you know, really showed use of his powers and his lightsaber. Like, that was something that we haven't really seen him do before. Right, well, we haven't well, seen him do it well. Well, right. well, watching that scene, you realize that at the start of New Hope, you know, it opens and the stormtroopers come in first. He comes in behind him. He didn't have to. He could have gone in by himself and gotten the same result. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to stick with that moment on the planet that might be Mustafar, might be Tirathongol, or could be. Um, <laughs> I do think that it was very strategic that they did not give the name of that planet as a way of saying, if you take the prequels, then yeah, that's what it is. If you tend to ignore them, as I do, yeah, it's just another, it's just Vader's planet. The moment when we see a hooded figure walk in that room, kneel down, mm-hmm. and say, my lord, director Krennic is here. Any idea who that character might be? Uh, oh, I had forgotten about I didn't, him. I didn't think much on him. I, I remember thinking, is that somebody? But it, but then, you know, we had Vader in a tank, so I was mm-hmm. immediately distracted. Uh, it, he kind of, awesome. like, it, it tickled a little bit of recognition, but I didn't really... So I wasn't sure. I I do not know who he is. I don't know if the character has been given a name. I didn't look check the credits or whatever. He looked vaguely like sort of Sithly. I, I think he kind of had like the reddish yellow eyes that Anakin had. You think that was Snoke? That was the first thing I thought of. Mm. Like that if we end up Sith, more Sith of, apprentice Snoke. Yeah, like if he was like an apprentice or a servant of Vader and then kind of rose to power afterwards because he he looked humanoid but not totally human. His face was kind of long. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was the first thing that popped in my mind. I was like, they're not saying it, but I wonder if somewhere down the road they'll explain that this is is Snoke. Mm. And we might find that out a year from now when we get episode 8. This is entirely speculation. Maybe Maybe that character will never really have an identity that matters. But anyway, okay, moving on. Other established characters. We've seen Vader cut loose and finally get our money's worth in terms of what a lot of people wanted from him. The CGI and what they did with Grand Moff Tarkin, who, and I think Nathaniel mentioned it, they did use Tarkin a lot more than I expected to, and I liked mm-hmm. every bit with him. Uh, he felt on point. He was in character. The as, as Angie alluded to, the cameos by Dr. Evazan and Panda Baba, the two guys from the Mos Eisley Cantina, <laughs> that almost pick a fight with Cassian and Jin. And uh, I, I loved that. That made me giddy. I love the I love 
the um, red leader, gold leader. Yes. Um, yeah. I'll tell you, though, I found myself going, are, are we going to see Porkins? Are and we, we saw Porkins? we did. We did see a fat guy. He was one of the, the one of the first pilots to be blown up was a fat dude yelling. He needed help. I was they, expecting someone to scream out Porkins, his brother. <laughs> <laughs> they did make a point of killing off Red Five. So now we know how Luke gets that designation when he joins. Because mm, yep. Red Five I, is available. I did notice that one. Um, yeah, I was I was wondering how much of the Red Leader and Gold Leader stuff was archival footage and how much was new CGI. I think some of it was archived, but I don't know. I really don't know. Probably a mix. Yeah. Oh, we we did get a brief little cameo of C three PO and R two D two, and mm-hmm. that was the one that I was kind of like, okay, I guess they felt like they needed to do it, but whatever. That, I, that one did feel a little bit like, well, they're in every other movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, because we didn't need another droid comic relief, I think, because like, we, we were pretty well covered with uh, K2SO. Yeah. Yep. Oh, and I loved K. I really, <laughs> I, everybody really did. Everybody loved he was him. Fun. You, you oh could hear gosh. it in the audience every time he spoke. Everybody loved that guy. So let's get I, into the, let's get into the new like... characters, and we can start with him. Let's start with K2, because I think, I think he will be a fan favorite. And I think we all agreed he was terrific. Yeah, like, what a perfect blend between... 3PO's kind of prissiness and like the depressed droid of um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> Marvin. He had a, he had a yeah. little bit of Marvin about him. That, yeah, that dryness. His dry wit was incredible and and it like didn't let up, but it didn't get old. Which I don't know how they pulled that off. Because usually that annoys me. Like the, uh, the even the red-armed 3PO I get to the point where I was like, okay, we got it. Like, you're 3PO and you're you know, you, you get annoyed with stuff. But he just like Oh my gosh, and his beats were perfect, his timing was perfect. I, I think I was just obnoxiously laughing every time he talked. <laughs> He's like kind of a droid that we've we've seen versions of him before, but we haven't really, you know, interacted with him because he was a reprogrammed Imperial droid. Yeah, he And was. that's kind of one of the that was the cool thing about his personality was that he didn't have basically any social filters. Like he everything he thought he just said. Right? Yeah. That was his whole his deal. Yeah, he had that very sort of abrupt sort of honesty that comes across as somewhat surly, somewhat antisocial, just but very just sort of like just he kind of struck me as if R2D2 were speaking in words and not clicks and whistles. I think yeah, that, I think he has a little bit of that bluntness. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of feel like that's what he'd be saying to Luke if Luke like tripped over something. He'd be like, "Oh, well, <laughs> you, you obviously suck at walking." <laughs> <laughs> What about uh, our main character, Jin Erso? I'm a little mixed on her, actually. She's not bad. She's good. But I feel like the movie tried to make her the big emotional hook um, of the story, and she didn't quite get there for me to the extent that I think that they were trying for. Again, she's not bad, but I feel like they put a lot of the emotional stakes on her shoulders, and I, I didn't quite connect with her on that level. She had a weird um, character arc because the first half of the movie, she was just, I don't really care. You guys do whatever the hell you want. I'm not looking up and seeing whose flag's flying over the city, so I don't care. And then suddenly she was the one giving the pep talk to the Rebel Alliance about how we need to attack and we need to do this. Just like, it, it, she seemed like she had a very steep turn or a very like a quick turn from i don't really care to oh no you guys all have to give up your lives and go do this because i just learned something and i felt like the reason that was sort of not clicking entirely was that i never really felt like she had the motivation to buy into what the rebellion represented and and their flags and everything it was more about fulfilling her father's dream 
it was more of this personal stake of she wanted to destroy the Death Star because that was her father. That was what he worked so hard for. That was what he sacrificed for. But the, you know, winning the hearts and minds of the Rebellion and, like, the the whole, like, inspirational, like, speeches and things like that, that was the part where I was like, yeah, I don't buy it why they have to rally behind you. That was the part where she became the figurehead and the leader. I wasn't quite buying into that. I still liked her arc and I still liked the journey that she had, but it felt like they were kind of mixing two different reasons for her to be the the hero of the movie when they only needed one. Oh, the kind of nice thing about that was that most of the people on the screen also didn't rally behind her. Like, even the people sitting there from the Alliance were like, why the hell should we listen to you? Mm -hmm. Um, I, I vote no. Everyone else, yeah, we all vote no. And then they just peaced out. That actually brings me to the point about that that scene, I mean, we get Mon Mothma, which was a nice touch, and the woman who played Mon Mothma did a terrific job. She was actually cast to play Mon Mothma in episode three, Revenge of the Sith, but her part in that movie was cut out. But she has historically played Mon Mothma before. Uh, so I think she did I think she did a great job. But the one that I really wanted more from was Jimmy Smith's as Bail Organa. And yeah. Like the whole time, I was like, you know, you're Leia's father. You're supposed to be this heroic figure in the Rebel Alliance. We never saw it in the original movies. God knows we didn't see it in the prequels, just because of all of the lacking and the ways that those movies fell short. I wanted something more from him in this one, and he just kind of gave me a smirk and a one-liner at the end. I was like, no, come on, I want more from this guy. <laughs> that was a bit of a letdown in terms of that character. Ange, what did you think of Jenersa? I was fine with her. I think I agree that her motivations were very self-centered. And then when they became kind of more self-sacrificing, it was, it was a little bit of a switch. But I was, I was a little bit more distracted by Cassian's switch, mm-hmm. where you know, mm-hmm. he was this kind of hardcore and actually like getting in Jin's face and being like, I've been fighting this war since I was six and we've all lost people and you know we have to sacrifice. And he's like willing to lie and murder and then suddenly he's like going to desert the rebellion to back her up and like take I, a bunch I of could, deserters with him i could kind of buy that because he he believed that the alliance wasn't committing to the cause right. in that moment right. but let me ask you did, is anyone else completely clear on why he didn't pull the trigger and gun down galen because no, I, 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 I'm not entirely sure I understand why that I, happened. I don't. So, sorry, go ahead, Elliot. Well, I was going to say my read on the whole scene was that first he was waiting for the clear shot, and then he saw, I forget what Jin's dad's name was. Galen. Uh, Galen. Yeah. yeah, like Galen, he sees Galen stepping in front of his engineers and then seeing the engineers get gunned down, and he realizes that maybe there's some truth behind Jin's story because he's obviously in trouble for doing something just as uh, Krennic comes onto the planet. Yeah, that was how I read it. I'm not sure if it was necessarily edited or cut in the most clear way. I figured, like, I think we needed a shot of sort of the macro binoculars view of Krennic Krennic striking Galen and knocking him down. Yeah, that was the thing. It seemed like he wasn't really paying attention at the key points where it was obvious that Galen is defying the Empire somehow and being punished for it. So I I think that was the reason that was why Cassian was supposed to hesitate, that he was supposed to say, this guy isn't acting like a mad scientist who built a super weapon that I need to kill. He's acting like something is wrong, and maybe... I can give Jin the benefit of the doubt. I'm just not sure that scene was edited as clear as it needed to be. 
Yeah, I think that's an execution thing because I'm with that on paper, but then I'm also left thinking, well, if that was how he felt about it, he didn't back her up at all in that meeting that happened right after. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and all it would have taken was him saying, look, I watched what the guy was doing in his last hours. He looked defiant. Mm hmm. You know, I just, I, a, a line like that would have helped. Um, but since you mentioned Krennic, I found him interesting because I feel in a lot of ways he was what General Hux was supposed to be in yeah. Force Awakens because he's the, he's this guy who, you know, he's he's worked his way up through the military, but he's he is equally about the military cause as he is about himself. endearing himself to the people above him, and he's mm-hmm. it's this sort of mix of ambition and cronyism. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, and his his sort of ambition and the way, like, when he's first embarrassed, like, he runs off to Darth Vader and he's like, well, you'll tell the Emperor that really this whole thing is mine. I need to get credit for this. And it, it is kind of funny because even though he is our, mostly the, the, the superior officer that we're following, we do see him undermined a few strategic moments. And that makes him, I think... That gives him a little bit of a desperation that makes him a little bit more dangerous, too. Mm-hmm. So, and, yeah. And can I just say that I really appreciated the moment where, after being force choked by Vader and like <laughs> yeah. being like essentially smacked down, he still had the audacity to smirk. Yeah. Like, he's like, I'm, I'm still getting what I wanted. Yeah. I think that might have awoken something, some particular kink in director Krennic. <laughs> I think he actually, he, I think he liked that sensation. He's like, oh, oh I gotta piss Vader off more often. Oh, no. <laughs> Selective um, defiance. I, I did I did love that scene though, with Vader actually making some quips. Like it wasn't just, you know, the the deep breathing and then, you know, don't disappoint me again. Like he said a couple of clever lines throughout that and you know, said, you know, don't choke on your ambitions. Like <laughs> Vader doesn't give one liners like that. Yeah. Like that was that was well, like they, refreshing. They, uh, they allowed him to have a little bit more personality mm-hmm. and that I think he had to a certain extent in that first movie, but then he kind of couldn't have in Empire and Jedi because he was all angsty over the search for his son. So well, I think just I also, because of timing, it allows them to just let him have a little fun with what he does. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's interesting because I've always felt that Vader's character in A New Hope is like incredibly flat. I, I don't think when they made A New Hope, they realized how cool Vader was going to be. He right. was just like this lapdog. Tarkin was actually more scary than him. Like you were saying earlier, Nathaniel, you know, we've never, or, or maybe you said it, Elliot, we haven't seen um, Vader kind of moving in a dangerous way. And in A New Hope, he kind of walks like he can't move his shoulders, kind of turns his entire body like he can't turn his neck. And he's just very awkward and lumbering and just kind of this, I, I don't know, he, he doesn't seem to have a mind of his own in A New Hope. He has that little moment in the, um, the conference room where he chokes mm-hmm. what's-his-face a little bit. And, you know, and then starts like going on like a religious tantrum where he's talking about the force. <laughs> but but yeah, like this is like this is a Vader that seems more dangerous and realistic for like a young man who was ambitious and fell to the dark side. Like he's going to have an attitude. Yeah. And he I mean, he, we saw what he has to deal with on a regular basis when we found him <laughs> in that tank just filled with that milky white oh. stuff and. It was like, like that's, a real that's cool his everyday life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I loved <laughs> like, that scene. Like so much better than that that weird pod you see in Empire. Don't speak like, ill of the pod. This thing. <laughs> I love that thing. 
Uh, let's. But yeah, uh, that's him. His daily hell of a life. <laughs> let's get to some of the other characters, um, particularly Chirrut and Baze, who mm. I couldn't believe that they actually dropped. They were called the the Guardians of the Wills. The yep. Wills, if you know your Star Wars canon, that is something that goes way back to George Lucas's original treatment for the Star Wars saga. The whole thing, the whole nine chapters as he originally envisioned it, was going to be called the Saga of the Wills, like W-H-I-L-L-S or something. And it was supposed to be like this weird sort of spiritual, like sort of the precursors of the Jedi or something along those lines. And they're here sort of like the, they're the last holdouts of this ancient Jedi temple on this planet called Jedi. And they didn't really explain it, but they called them the Guardians of the Wills. I thought that was fascinating. And we get these two really different characters, but very, like, chummy-chummy. And we know they they have this history. What did we think of these two guys? I'm going to forget which one's which, so I'm just going to say Donnie Yen. Donnie Yen was Um, Churret. He was the blind one, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I really liked him, and he was one of the things going in that I was pretty sure I was not going to like. Mm. Um, but I ended up really liking him because what I didn't want was I didn't want to feel like the Jedi were invading a story where the Jedi have no business being. But I didn't get that because the way he came across was just a guy with faith, which I think is a totally relevant thing to have in any war story. I mean, the equivalent would be any World War II movie where there's a guy who, you know, who does a quick few Hail Marys on his rosary before he goes into battle. He's basically yep. that guy. Mm-hmm. And I'm totally cool with that. Yeah, I really enjoyed his um, – he was obviously, I, mean, I guess, Force-sensitive. Like, you know, he picked up on uh, Jin's necklace from across the crowded street and all that, but not a guy who really had access to the Force. Like, he just relied on his senses and obviously years of martial arts training to beat the hell out of all those stormtroopers. But, like, he wasn't a guy – he didn't bust out a lightsaber. You know, he didn't – he was, like, a lot of fun to watch in those battles. That was actually one thing that I felt like they set up, and I and I don't know, because he mentioned that the kyber crystals were being mined on Jeddah for the Death Star. Right. And Jin thought she'd heard that the kyber crystals were used Powered to power the lightsabers. the lightsabers. And her necklace, does anybody else think that that's what that necklace was? It was supposed to be a kyber oh, def- crystal? Definitely, yeah, it definitely was a kyber was. crystal. They set yeah. that up, yeah. and I was like, okay, is she going to take that necklace? Is that going to be used for a lightsaber? I figured at some point we were going to get another lightsaber in this movie, and we didn't get that by the end of it. I think they, that maybe that was something that they forgot about. Uh, what about the other character, Baze, the <laughs> Donnie Yen's partner, who was just like this heavy machine gun crazy soldier? Um, I felt like he was good support to um, Chirrut. Um, I thought he was like a really good foil to Chirrut. Chirrut was this kind of monk-like faith figure, like really great. Like he was just so graceful and centered with himself. And, and he seemed like just like so wise and, and, and like using his senses. And then you've got this other guy with a machine gun. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, well, and this like, massive force gun that he's that he's strapped into. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like a, it's like attached to him. And and like but they complement each other perfectly. And, yeah. and you could tell that they've been together for decades. Right. Like they were like kind of like an old couple. They could finish each other's sentences. And they clearly they established that Baze has fallen from the faith. He doesn't really believe in their order anymore. He doesn't believe in the force. He's seen he's probably seen a lot of Jedi friends be killed off in front of him and he's just kind of fallen out of the faith, but he still loves this his best friend and he's going to stick yeah. around with him and kind of seeing like he's always got his back. 
Well, it's uh, like he still has faith in his friend, mm-hmm. even if he doesn't have faith in the Force. Yeah. yeah. And Chirrut had said that he was one of the strongest defenders before. Mm-hmm. That he had, um, and I loved that my favorite line from them was when you know, Chirrut's like, you know, the Force is protecting me. And he's like, Bay's like, I protect you. The Force doesn't protect you. I did that. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I completely random, but how funny was it when they put a bag over a bag the flag? Over <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> that was so good. That was so good. Just to kind of expedite things, moving away from the characters, one of the other major points that where this movie differentiates itself from other Star Wars movies is, I think, the style and the tone of this piece. This was clear, this was part of the marketing, that this movie would not feel like one of the so-called saga films, that this would feel more like a war movie. What did we think of the differences in the look and the overall kind of just mood of this movie? Well, kind of like I said at my front, it it was what I wanted. I wanted a different feel, and I got a different feel. This felt heavier, and as much emphasis as you know they put on hope and rebellion is built on hope. It was very clear, like it's hope for the cause. It's not hope for these characters. And so I mean, it's not. While they were all played pretty well, it's not a shock that they're all dead by the end of this, because that's that's just the feel of. The mission is bigger than these characters. These characters are totally expendable. But I also feel like I I don't, and I'm still trying to wrap my head around how they pulled this off. Like, despite the fact that all of the characters died, it still ends on the note of hope. Mm -hmm. And and it doesn't feel like it's a darker movie, but it doesn't feel too dark. It doesn't feel depressingly dark. I mean, I, I think some of the prequels that weren't, I think, weren't trying to be horribly dark. We're, we're darker and more like like kind of dragging drag the audience down more so than than this film oh you where, mean when they cut down all the baby jedis and, yeah, oh, oh god that, that helped yeah um <laughs> but it just i don't know how they pulled it off that like it almost was like a release and a relief in that moment when that that flash consumed cassian in jen they, it was like they, they got to rest. Like they had been fighting their entire lives. They'd only experienced pain and they did what they came to do and they could rest. And I wonder if how much of that, because I, I agree. I mean, all of our heroes die in this movie. They all get killed off, but they succeed in their mission. And we end with this moment with, I mean, I, Leia herself might have the last line in the movie when she just says hope. Um, and we jump to light speed. The next part of this movie, like the next part of this saga, if we just followed it chronologically, is the beginning of the original Star Wars movie, which right. now episode four, mm-hmm. A New Hope. The first part of that opening crawl is, it is a dark time for the galaxy, but rebel spaceships have won their first major victory against the Galactic Empire. That's how that crawl starts is they have won their first major victory and so you're like yeah even though all of our heroes died all their ships were torn apart that was technically a victory in that they got what they needed they that mission mm. was a success the heroes sacrificed themselves but they did they did the job so i, I think maybe having that knowledge of where the story goes next might have helped sort of alleviate the the sorrow that you might have in seeing these characters die Maybe just because we do know that ultimately... Because you know what happens with those plans. Mm -hmm. Right. And I have to say, it's it's a big... In terms of the overall Star Wars franchise, it's a big relief to me to see that Disney and Lucasfilm had the commitment to follow through 
that all these characters should die because I remember just seeing a snippet. It might have been from Felicity Jones saying, no, there's not going to be a Rogue 2. And <laughs> I kind of figured like, yeah, that's probably because they're all dead. But, you know, if, if this was handled the way, say, Sony tended to handle Spider-Man, at least half the team would have survived. They would have been planning three additional sequels based off the spe- – I, I like Disney's commitment right now to, to the fact that they're like, no, these are side stories. These are not meant to start new mini franchises. Right. Well, and, and I think the beauty of that is that now when they do another side story – we're going to be like, yeah, you're going to do it right. Like, they don't have to keep this story going because there's so many avenues of side stories that they can do. And I think there's still the potential of casting Sebastian Stan as Luke. <laughs> <laughs> and she really wants that story of Luke after Return of I, the Jedi. <laughs> oh, damn straight. Actually, you could do it anywhere now, right? You could do um, <laughs> adventures of in between any of them, between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, like adventures of Han and Luke just like going off and like trying to just digitally pick up recreate something. their faces the way they've done. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. We don't need Harrison Ford anymore. One of the things that I'll be honest, I mean, just it sort of took me a little bit to get into this movie because of some of the technical difference. First of all, not beginning with an opening crawl. Um, mm. We just jump right in. We see a space a starscape, and then we're in this planet. We've got a ship. We've got this extended sequence, which is sort of a flashback because immediately after the opening titles, we jump ahead in time to when Jin is an adult. That whole difference. And then jumping from a lot of different planets in a very short amount of time, getting the name of the planets listed out for us, which hasn't been done in any previous Star Wars movie. We always got the locations just named. Some of those little different I was just like, okay, it's this really is different. This doesn't feel the same, and it's taken me a bit to kind of catch up and, and get into the mood, the rhythm of this movie. But once I did, I I was able to really, really enjoy it, and I liked those things. I liked the different settings. They felt lived in. They felt real. They felt Star Wars appropriate. Um, so all of that, yeah, I, I was getting into it. It took me a little bit, but once I found the movie's level, its wavelength. I, I did greatly enjoy those differences, and I do like that this is a different type of movie within the Star Wars universe. I think it does open up the realms of... They, they will continue to do the saga movies with episodes 8, 9, and presumably more after that, that feel in that more classical, traditional adventure saga, but we've had our war movie. In two years, we're going to have a Han Solo movie that I, I don't know what it's going to feel like. I'm thinking it's going to be sort of some kind of chase or heist movie. We might get a, a Jedi origin type of movie. We might get more of a Western. There's a lot of ways that they can go, and I think if this movie is successful, we will see more different types of Star Wars movies. And, and that excites me for that. So I, I'm really I'm really looking forward to those. Uh, I'm going to wrap this up just for the sake of time, but um, I'll give you each your sort of final closing thoughts on it. Uh, let's go uh, high points for everybody. Elliot, starting off, what do you think was the best part of the movie, and what is going to be your sort of lasting memory from this movie? I think the high point for me in this movie was the the different the difference in feel from the other movies. So this movie was not the light side versus the dark side. This was more the the gray side versus the dark side. Mm. You had like you got to see the real people behind the Rebel Alliance. It wasn't a bunch of idealists who are just talking about a cause. You had a bunch of guys who had assassinated people, had you know blown things up. Like you knew that all these guys who went down 
um, to, you know, fight on uh, Scarif. Like, they had done some bad things in the past, and they were tr- working to make, like, to redeem themselves. Like, the entire rebellion, the, the guys who we saw fighting, not necessarily the people in the council, like, they were trying to make it better, trying to make what they did worth it. And that was kind of, it was a much more humanizing thing. That's what I'm taking away from this movie, is that, like, it's it's not necessarily a world of black and white. Like, all these people kind of exist in the gray, and... They came out. We, I mean, we know they come out on the right side eventually. Ange, your high point. What is going to be your sort of lasting impression of the movie? One, I agree with Elliot a hundred percent. I think something that really struck me was the fact that there were antagonists on both the the Imperial and the Alliance side. Um, like we we had danger from all sides, dishonesty on all sides. I. I, I'm just I'm gonna go back to something I said at the beginning. I was so struck by how fascinating it was to look at. I, I think they they were able to bring the grittiness of the originals and, and marry it to they were able to marry it with CGI, mm-hmm. right? The CGI that plagues us from the prequels and makes it um and it makes the prequels I think like the CGI is something that many of us who have a problem with the prequels really struggle with. And I, and they, they brought CGI back and made it something that could be beautiful and could be compelling and interesting. Um, But I guess like something that I'm really, really happy with is the fact that this film was able to bring some really fantastic star Wars moments that I've never seen before for instance, a tidal wave of planet, which I thought was like a new scary thing that I didn't know existed. Um, but marry it with those classic images, like the image of Vader when when we first see Vader emerging at that like maybe Mustafar planet out of the the steam. It looked very much like Bespin, mm. and like the, the the lights in the floor and the the very ambient lighting that was that was more of a red tone than a blue tone which is what we saw on on Bespin but I just like was just struck by that I'm like yes this is like this is classic Star Wars while still being new Star Wars Nathaniel well both Angela and Elliot sort of went big with their high points so I'm gonna get more down (laughs) to nuts and bolts and nitty-gritty and I'm gonna cite K2 and Vader's last scene holy (laughs) crap did I have the biggest grin on my face for that scene? You know what? As much as I, I, I said the same thing when The Force Awakens was coming out. I really wanted to see the new characters. I was ready to say goodbye to Han and Luke and Leia. I was all about embracing Rey and Finn and everybody. But when I watched The Force Awakens, I had such a smile on my face whenever Han and Chewie were on the screen. And I can't escape this nostalgia and the things that I loved as a kid. And looking at this one, I was of the same way. I was like, let's show a new type of Star Wars that we haven't seen before. I'm really excited for this. And thinking back on it, like the the moments that really brought joy to me while I was in the theater was seeing Grand Moff Tarkin live again. <laughs> the yeah. two guys, Ponda Baba and Dr. Evazan from the, from the Mos Eisley Cantina, just walking the street, bumping into people. The, the moment of Leia, Darth Vader again, it's the, those moments from the originals that they brought back in such a seamlessly, beautifully, and elegantly integrated way that really, really impressed me. 
yeah, I, I don't know where this movie will rank uh, on like amongst all of the Star Wars movies. I'm I'm sure I will see it again at some point. Um, but uh, yeah, I I hardly I I enjoy the movie. I encourage everybody to go out and see it because if this one is successful, we'll get more movies like this, but also more diversity in the Star Wars universe. So, mm-hmm. um, Elliot Stafford, Nathaniel Wayne, Angela Drew, I want to thank all of you guys for being my guests on this episode of Give Me Those Star Wars. Thank you for going to see the movie with me. I had a great time. Uh, and that is going to be it for this episode. So thank you very much, listeners. If you haven't seen the movie, why are you listening to this episode? We just ruined so much of it. <laughs> um, if you have seen a movie, please uh, leave us a comment on the Fire and Water website or on the Facebook page for Give Me Those Star Wars. Uh, let us know what you think, and uh, I hope you enjoyed it. And from all of us here, may the Force be with you. Hey listeners, I wanted to drop a really quick note before I go. As you heard, this was our first reaction to Rogue One, recording it in a bit of a rush mere minutes after seeing the movie, because I wanted to make sure that I had enough time to edit this episode to my satisfaction and release it on Friday, December 16th. Because of that, we didn't have time to talk about everything I wanted to cover. We skipped a few things, I simply forgot a few things, and I'm also still processing some of what I saw, reevaluating how I felt about certain parts of the movie. All of that means there is still a lot to talk about regarding Rogue One, and I'm sure I will do that with other guests on future episodes. Probably not going to get another one out before the new year, however, so until you hear from me again, happy holidays and happy new year. Give Me Those Star Wars is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Feedback for the show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com or the Facebook page for Give Me Those Star Wars. You can also find me on Twitter at ryandaily01, or you can send an email to rdailypodcast at gmail.com. Part of the theme music for this podcast is performed by the Evil Genius Orchestra from their album Star Wars Cocktails in the Cantina, available for purchase on iTunes and at Amazon Music. That and all other music, audio clips, or quoted text are used for entertainment purposes and believed covered under fair use. Give Me Those Star Wars is not affiliated with Disney or Lucasfilm, and I make no money off this podcast, so no copyright infringement is intended. Thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you.